as uh, as we march toward Easter, I want to focus back on the person of Jesus, who he is, what he has done, and what that means for us. And if you read the title for today's sermon, we're calling it The Extravagant Welcome, the remarkable opportunity that we have in life because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Now, first, I'm going to read the primary passage that I'm speaking from today. Um, I'm sure most of us have heard this many times throughout our life. And then I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive in. So let's read. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 3, and then verses 11 to 32. Verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Now he tells a couple quick stories here, the the one about a lost sheep and another one about a lost coin. But we're skipping to verse 11 today to focus on the story of the lost son. So here, Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for the continued opportunity that we have week after week, day after day, really, to, to gather together, specifically in this context, as a church, as your body, the body of Christ, to, to gather together to worship you, to pray, to read from your word, to learn your truth. Lord, I ask that this morning it would be your words and not mine, that your truth would be evident, and that each one of us here gathering in person or watching at home online would uh, would leave with a renewed sense of, of your peace and renewed sense of your love in their life. I ask that you would bless each one here in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm a little parched. Well, I don't know about you, but when I read that story, the prodigal son, as we've come to call it, I always end up in the same place. I need to, I have this need to identify the good guys and the bad guys and run it through kind of like a movie in my head. I think of the younger brother as the bad guy, the bad guy in this scenario. And uh, I think about people that I've come across or people that I know who I think would do the same thing if given the opportunity. But I never think of myself as that person. Uh, I suppose I always think of myself as the older brother, the one who gets upset at the way things go down. And, uh, and I think he's got a good reason to be upset. He's really the good guy in this story. He's justified in his response. And I'd, I'd be like him, not the younger one. That's where I always end up. Now, Jesus made this story up kind of on the spot to make a point. Though it is fictional, in a sense. Um, and I just that got me thinking, I myself have been writing a fictional novel for a number of years. I don't know if I'm ever going to finish it, but I'm working on it. And uh, while it's not the same thing, thinking about fiction, there's an unwritten rule for it that's basically, in order for it to be interesting, it must be believable. Now, Jesus is a master storyteller. But if I were to write a story like this now and submit it to a publisher, it could be tossed aside quite quickly um, because it's unbelievable. There's not enough. It's too simple. Um, could any son really be that bad? Uh, would any father truly reconcile things that quickly without any issue? Um, no, you know, no penance for his misdeeds. No bringing him back on as a servant for a while to teach him a lesson. No punishment of any kind. No damaged relationship, nothing. He's just back as the son, end of story. No, that, that doesn't check out. You, you can't go ruin your life, make everyone else's life more difficult, and then come back as if nothing ever happened. That's not realistic. It's not believable. That's not how life works. That's basically what would happen now if we write a story like that and try to get it published. But it's the story Jesus tells. So I think, what about you? Can you think of people in your life, friends or, you know, friends of friends, or simply movies you've watched or stories you've read, where someone pulled an absolutely terrible move and got away with it? Or maybe they didn't get away with it. Perhaps justice was served, and in the end you felt that was the right way for things to turn out, justice being served. Or maybe you can think of a time when you did something terrible yourself. I know I can. Did you get away with it? Or did you receive the justice that was deserved? All of our views, I think, on justice are skewed a bit by the culture we find ourselves in 
Now, the younger brother in this story is a deeply broken, damaged individual. He's made some terrible choices, and he's suffering the natural consequences of those choices for a time. Now, just think about how our society views those who are severely broken, people who are damaged by, many times, by the choices that they've made. Think about how you view those people that are broken. Do you jump to the other side of the street to avoid passing by a homeless person? Do we avoid inviting certain friends or family around to gatherings or different get-togethers because of their problems? Or maybe because of their choices? Has someone hurt you and you've decided that they're no longer worthy of your time or love? Have we bought into North American society's comments that we just need to cut toxic people out of our lives completely in order to live our best life now? But that's not what God says about these same people. And that's not what he calls us to do as followers of Jesus. Even though Jesus made this story up to prove a point, and even though it seems impossible or at least highly improbable, it turns out to be a true story. And you and I are actually the main characters. I know we'd all rather, at least if we're going to be a character in this story, we'd rather be the older sibling than the younger. The one with our life together and who obeys their father. But let's see what Jesus has to say about both types of people as they were both in attendance that day, listening to him speak. Now, right off the hop, in Luke 15, verse 1, there's contention with Jesus here. It says, The tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to hear him speak. The Pharisees and teachers of the law have some beef with him over that. How dare he allow sinners to eat with him and hang out with him? Now, I can imagine Jesus rolling his eyes as they're muttering this under their breath. After all, he had already told them earlier when they complained about the exact same thing. In Luke 5, verses 31 to 32, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So he tells them a couple of stories here first, and then he gets into the story of the lost son. And it seems unbelievable not because it's complicated, but because it's so simple. A simple story for the simple people that he was speaking to that day. The people that the Pharisees and teachers of the law despised and referred to as sinners and lumped in with the tax collectors, the most hated people. The outcasts, really. People who were below them. But that's an issue Jesus is addressing by telling this story not only reaching out to the lowly, downtrodden, broken people there, but also those who thought that they were righteous enough the way they were. Those who, like me, believe the older brother at the end of the story is the good guy and in the right. So looking at verse 12 of Luke 15, the younger one says to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So his property is divided between them. Now, the younger brother, I will admit, is a bit of a punk here. You know, he says, hey, dad, give me my stuff. Right now. So the dad does so without any comments. And then he watches as his kid sets off for a distant country. You know, imagine he's from Canada, and then he decides that he's going to take all of the money that his dad gave him, 
and head over to Dubai for a wild party. And then verse 13 tells us he squanders his wealth in wild living. That's quite the party over in Dubai. He's clearly made some horrible decisions. He demands all of his inheritance from his dad. He kicks his family to the curb and takes off to live the high life. His wealth runs out, I would imagine, actually a lot quicker than he thought it would. And then famine hits the country that he's partying in. Suddenly, he can't even eat. And he tries to get a job, figure out a way to make some money. And he gets sent out to feed pigs. And verse 16 says, He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, I would imagine he's getting paid something for his services, for feeding the pigs. But um, this is a little conjecture on my part, but with the famine in the country, I'm sure prices were high. He's probably still got some unhealthy habits, maybe some addictions that take his resources as quickly as he can earn what little he can. And he hopes for someone to just give him something, somebody to just feed him. But no one gives him anything. Now this is where I see a real tie-in with what, with what I see a lot today in our society. But your average person walks by this guy, this young man, wallowing in filth, begging for something from them. No one cares. This guy deserves what he's got. He's a loser. He's worthless. No one takes compassion on him. No one seems to care if he lives or dies. <clears throat> After all, if they give him some money, he'll probably just go and indulge in something that he's addicted to, something that's not what he needs. And isn't that a lot of what we see here, or even do ourselves? We see broken people on the street, families living in poverty, and very few people seem to care. Their decisions led them there. Let them figure it out. Let them get a job. But Jesus doesn't abdicate this young man of all responsibility. And I've got to give credit where credit is due. This young man realizes he's gone off the rails. Verse 17 to 19 here. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he comes home. He's not looking for forgiveness, but he's looking for a way to at least live out the rest of his days in relative comfort compared to where he's at now. At least if he's a servant, he won't starve to death. You know, he's beaten, he's broken, he's at the end of his rope. But verse 20 says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, <clears throat> threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The dad immediately has what no one else has had on him, compassion. The young man tries to repeat his apology and has to be hired as a servant, but the father will have nothing to do with that. He quickly calls to the servants, bring him the best robes, dresses him up as a wealthy person again, and throws a huge party 
serves the best meat, best food that they have, and it's quite the shindig, dancing, all of that. Now, I want to pause here for a minute. As we come up on Easter, we remember what Jesus did for each of us as individuals. Because of his sacrifice, he restored our relationship with God. As we're told in Romans 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then in John 1, verse 12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So when we receive Jesus into our lives, we are children of God. We become children of God. And this story he tells of the lost son is a reminder that we are all lost. All of us do not measure up. We are all in need of compassion and someone to take that first step for us. But we too must decide that we need help. We need to ask for forgiveness. And when we do that, like the son in this story, we don't receive the meager thing that we are asking for, just the, the bottom of the barrel, the little bit to get us by. We receive the absolute best that God has to offer. The same thing his own son Jesus is set to receive, because we too are his children and co-heirs with Jesus. No matter what we do, no matter how stupid our decisions, he will always treat us as prized children, worthy of everything he has. Romans 8 verses 38 and 39 tell us, For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So back to the parable. Luke 15, verse 25 here, and the following verses. I'm not going to read them again, but the older brother is out tending the fields. He's farming. He's working hard. He's probably been out there sun up to sundown every day. So he finishes up, you know, in those days too. Farming wasn't quite like it was now, so he may have been a long way off. They may have obviously had a lot of land to tend. So he finally finishes up and he heads back to the house. And when he comes home, he hears music and people dancing. He hears a party going on. And he calls one of the servants over and says, "What? what is going on? And they tell him his brother's returned home and... His dad's throwing a huge party for him. Killed the fat and captured all the best meat and food that they have. And immediately, the older brother is just chapped. He refuses to go inside the house, see his brother, or join in the festivities. So his father, filled with the same love he has for his younger son, goes out to see his older son and plead with him for her to come inside and join them. And th this is the character of God, our father, no matter where we're coming from, no matter what our attitude is like, or what we're coming out of, our Father approaches us with love and compassion. He desires for all of us to be with Him together. He calls us to His side, and He asks us to do the same. But the older son, the good guy, as I, as I often like to think of him, cannot believe his dad would allow his younger brother to come back in any capacity, let alone like this. He tells his father in verses 29 and 30, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf. And his father reminds him in the last two verses that he is always with him and everything that he has is his son's. But they're celebrating now because the son that they lost is found again. He was broken and he's now been restored. And that's a cause worth celebrating. Now the older brother is irate because his father never gave him anything to celebrate with his friends. He feels he's been treated unfairly and at first glance, that does seem to be the case. But his father quickly reminds him that he never needed to wait for something to be given to him. He had everything at his disposal that was the father's the entire time. And he chose not to take advantage of it. He too was waiting for someone to give him something, albeit in a different context than the younger brother. But he never asked for it. He was expecting something to be given as a reward for him being a dutiful son. But when in fact it had already been given to him. And he just did not take advantage. So the older brother is not the good guy in this story. He is a lot like the Pharisees and teachers of the, uh, teachers of the law. He believes he's perfect the way he is and he's doing everything the right way. And he should be rewarded for that. Not realizing he already has access to his father and everything that is his father's if he would but take that step himself the jesus told this story to sinners about sinners and for sinners that includes all of us as as i mentioned earlier we are all sinners we all fall short jesus christ loves younger brothers and sisters wayward souls people who mess up royally and regularly he pleads with the older siblings among us, those of us who seemingly have things a little more together, those of us who spend our time in our father's house with our father. He wants us to welcome the younger siblings home, just as he does. His love is prodigious, and thus also should be ours. Now, Easter is a special time to remember what Jesus has done for us. The love he's lavished upon us and seeks to pass that same love on to others. It's a time to unashamedly love the wrecked and broken. But how can we love the wrecked and broken if we believe that that does not include us? Now, I came across a post on Instagram last week with a quote that's not attributed to, to anyone, at least that I could find, so I'll claim it as my own. Steve McComish. Just kidding. But But here it is. Yes, Jesus hung out with prostitutes, drunkards, and outcasts. Here's the thing, though. By the time Jesus was done with these people, they weren't prostitutes, drunkards, or outcasts anymore. Jesus came to transform people, not indulge them. Following him is about surrender, not comfort. We are to align ourselves to his standard, not the other way around. That's why Jesus has this component of surrender, built into the story, not only does it showcase God's incredible love for his children, it reminds us of the need to come to our senses, as the prodigal son did, and surrender to our father. The younger brother surrendered, not knowing if he'd be kicked out to the curb, or if he'd be allowed to be a servant for a time. He, he knew he could do nothing 
to resolve his situation on his own. But he stepped forward, submitting himself to whatever fate would befall. And it just so happened that what his father had in store for him was everything he could want and more. No matter what we've done or who we are, we receive the same welcome from God, our Father, when we take that step toward him in surrender. So let's examine our own hearts this Easter season. How can we love the wrecked and broken if we believe that that does not apply to us? Do we have an attitude or air of superiority over others? Maybe they've made some poor decisions, or maybe they were born into a situation that's not as nice as our own. But do we believe that certain people, due to whatever factor, are unworthy of care, help, or love based on their life or decisions that they've made? I feel like I've seen a lot more of that over these last couple of years than I had in a lot of my life prior. The ease with which people were cast aside because of their views or decisions they were making was surprising and saddening to me. Uh, the families and friend groups that, that were torn apart or had major rifts tossed in the, into them because of the disagreements and decisions of individuals, was it was all over the map. And the tough thing is that even if the decisions these people were making were leading them to terrible situations or situations where they needed help, God does not call for us to do what culture calls for us to do. And that is cut them out of your life because they're toxic and you need to live your best life now. God calls us to do the opposite. And he reminds us through his son Jesus and this story of the lost son that we're meant to love those people and show them compassion. We're meant to do that for all people, whether they line up with the younger son or older son, no matter who they are or what they've done. Jesus calls us to treat other people, all other people, as he does, regardless of who they are, or regardless of the sin they're entangled in. He calls us to love them radically and show them the compassion due a son or daughter of God. So I want you to spend, I want you to spend these next few days thinking about how you can, each one of us really, spend the next few days thinking about how we can practically show love to the less fortunate the wrecked and broken, the sinners in our world. There are a host of opportunities that come up every day to help those in need. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word and for the reminder to love and care for others the way you do. Would you bless each one here, visiting in person or watching online? And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would bring to mind ways that each of us can show compassion and love to those who are wrecked and broken this Easter season and beyond. Give us the strength to radically care for the people no one wants to care for. And Lord, would you make your face shine upon each one of us as we go from here today. In Jesus' precious name, amen.